1: You're listening to the AME Radio Show. Yay! Welcome to the AME Radio Show. I'm your host, Jason Dowd, and as you probably noticed, we are not on our normal day. And that's because of the fact that we have a guest coming up later in the program that has something coming out this weekend that we want to get out there before it actually airs. No big deal, though. So just sit back and relax and enjoy the hour that we have together talking about art, music, and entertainment, and you will get more bonus stuff on Friday and Saturday on our Rumble scheduled time. So what do we have coming up? Well, we have two great guests coming on today. We have Scott Ryan, and he wrote a book about 30-something. Now, everybody knows that that was a show in the 80s that actually actually defined a generation, believe it or not. Now, I remember the show barely. I was still, still kind of young when it came out, and I really wasn't into all those adult shows and the, and the adult comedies as much, mainly because of the fact I was about 10 to 11 when it, when it actually aired and, and ended. So I don't really quite remember a lot about what the show is, but I'm going to learn. And that's what I'm really excited about. I love to be able to, to travel back in time and learn about these types of things. So Scott Ryan will be here talking to us about 30-something in his book. Then we have Paul Green, and you've seen him from When Calls the Heart. But now he's on another Hallmark movie that's airing Saturday at 9 p.m. called My Favorite Wedding. So we're excited to be able to talk to him about his career and we 're going to be talk to him about this movie and get his point of view about the movie that 's what I like about doing with these with the actors that come on because i get to I get to get an inside reference into the character, not just the actor itself and the movie so we 're going to have a lot of fun with that now, as you guys know this past weekend was Father's Day. And something that kind of struck me funny was I saw on my Facebook page a lot of people saying, you know, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there, but also to all the single mothers out there. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you know what, I hardly saw anything. I don't even remember seeing anything about the single fathers on Mother's Day. And this, this kind of bothered me a little bit, and it probably shouldn't bother me as much as it did. But You know, I do understand that there are single mothers out there. And you know what? I have the utmost respect for any parent that is doing it by themselves because it does take two people to make it a lot easier for them. And when you're stuck in a situation to raise a child by yourself, whether it be through death or through divorce or something, it's tough. It really is tough. And there are a lot of deadbeat dads out there. But one thing that I got to admit that no matter what happens in this world, there is something that a father can only give to their children and there's something that only a mother can give to their children. And that doesn't mean that they're going to be raised wrong or they're going to be weird when they grow up or they're not going to be you know, good, well-rounded adults. But there's something that mothers just can't give to their children and there's something fathers can't give to their children in place of their mother or father, if that makes sense. It takes both people. So... That's why i I like these days because it allows the mothers out there, single mothers, married mothers, whatever it may be, to have Mother's Day, and single fathers or single or, or married fathers to have Father's Day. This is to honor the men in our lives and honor the, the the women in our lives. and just because you're a single mother does not mean you take the place of that father, or if you're a single father, you cannot take the place of that mother. Because, you know, I can only imagine if I was growing up, if I had a child growing up with me and and it was a daughter and, you know, I would get I would give that child everything that I possibly could. I always would. It doesn't matter if I was married or not. But there are things that my wife or my girlfriend or whatever the situation may be could give to that to my daughter that I can't do. That doesn't make me less of a parent. But that's why we that's why we have these special days that we that we honor. So what i'm going to say is if you're going to do it for one day if you're going to do it for Father's Day and, and honor the mothers there too, you need to do the same thing for the f- for for Mother's Day and honor the fathers on mother's Day that's just my opinion uh, maybe it's cliche I don't know maybe it's just something I shouldn't even be worried about, but I did see it a lot and it and I think that we need to separate those and give the fathers their day and give the mothers their day that's what it's for it's not about being necessarily a parent in a certain situation it's about being a father or being a mother and honoring them second thing that came up this weekend i decided to try zip lining for the first time and oh my god was that so much fun um if you get a chance to do it, it's definitely worth the worth the money. Now we did it at Mosey, which is a museum of science and industry here in Tampa, Florida. We are members of the of the uh, museum, so we got in there for our, our general admission because we already paid for it, and it cost us an extra eight bucks because we were members as opposed to fifteen dollars. Now they they climb you up this huge uh, scaffolding, it goes way up in the sky. It's probably I'm going to say it's between seventy five to a hundred feet in the air, and there's no bigger form of intimidation than to sit there and hold on to this little rope that's st- harnessed around you. You're sitting at the edge of this of this big huge platform and they push you. The only thing holding you up is a little bit of wire, a couple of a couple of balls in in that roll down the wire and this harness and you're just dangling. It's such a great feeling. I got I got to admit if you're a daredevil or a thrill seeker, this is something you're definitely going to want to try. But it's also a beautiful and fun experience. I mean, it's thrilling, but yet it's gorgeous because you get to see the world around you. It's not like when you fly in a, in a plane and you can't look directly below you. This you can. Now, obviously, at the Museum of Science and Industry, there's only so much you can see. So I hope, hopefully, one day I'll be able to go through the mountains or go through one of these forests and do this experience the way that I, I, I like to see it again. But I will definitely try this again at Mosey. So if you're at Mosey, definitely try this out. Uh, there's probably a lot of places around you you just don't even know it, but you know, Google Ziplining. See what you have, see what pops up. And if you get the chance to do it, I highly recommend it. Also, there's something that's pretty cool out there at, at uh, Epcot. You know, I, I'm. I, I thought I was a Disney fanatic, and I thought I I knew everything about Disney. But when Pete Tribuco came down here, we decided to go through Epcot, and we did the um the car- the Carousel of the World, and we went to the Mexican, part. We have like the Aztec pyramid. I thought it was just for decoration. I didn't know that there was anything special about this thing, and I never saw anybody go in. Never saw anybody come out of it. But when he took when he took me inside, it is amazing because inside there is like a ride similar to it's a small world but it's by the three um the three uh carabellos and they take you through this water ride they have this incan mayan uh pyramid out there with like and it's like nighttime and you get to sit there and, and eat it's a restaurant too and it's a lot of places to also shop I couldn't believe that this existed there. I've been going there for four years and never even knew that, that that there was a ride in there, let alone a restaurant. So I was, like, completely blown away. So if you get there, go check that out and make reservations because this is a gorgeous place to eat. Finally, uh, I've been talking a lot about it, and I'm really excited to announce that a be- the beautiful people of the world is, is starting to take shape. Now, I've had a couple countries done for a little while, it's, uh, I've had Romania, China, and Saudi Arabia. But now I'm actually getting new ones done, and I have the Dominican Republic done. I'm working on Haiti, Cuba, and Bolivia, all in one shot. And the idea about this is racism. There's so much racism today, and it exists on both sides of the aisle. Don't let anybody fool you. I've heard so many people from different countries, different skin colors, pick on somebody else because of their nationality or their skin color. So it happens with white against all other colors. It happens with black against all colors. And it happens with with, uh, uh, browns and yellows against all colors. It exists. And the reason that it exists is because it's something that we're taught. I don't believe it's something that we're born with. And when we see things that are different, sometimes it's hard for us to, to comprehend that and accept it. So what this... What this is going to do, this is a series that I'm going to try to get all 196 countries across the, United, across the world, put them together and show people how amazing diversity is and how beautiful it is and why we are all people of this world that come from different, different sections. So we bring different fashions, we bring different styles, we bring different religions, we bring different food all to the table. And together, that's a pretty amazing thing. So when I'm done with this, I want to take it out to different types of uh, libraries and schools and colleges and community centers all the way across the world. That's what I'd love to be able to do and educate. I don't want to make any money on this. I want to educate. So if you're in the Tampa Bay area and you're any of the countries that I may or may not have, hit me up on ImaginationArtStudios.com because I want to hear from you. All right, guys. So before we go to our first break, I, I want to invite you to our website. It's www theamemagazine.com 24 hours a day 7 days a week 365 days a year it's up there everything's archived all of our shows all of our television shows just go check it out no subscription fees and we just finished our latest episode of the AME television so check that as well if you're on Facebook we're on Facebook facebook.com forward slash the AME experience and Twitter's at Dowd Studios alright guys we're going to go to a quick commercial break when we come back we are going to go on the line with Scott Ryan so don't go anywhere Do you
0: love horror, the strange and unusual fantasy creatures or urban legends? Do you want to step inside a dream or nightmare? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out internationally exhibiting artist Jason Dowd. And his award-winning photographic collections by visiting www.imaginationartstudios.com. Get inside his mind and experience his inner weird. <laughs>
2: Hi, this is Serena Palmer. You can come see me at the Shaw Festival and Dancing in Lunissa and Leaves in the Line until October 15th. Visit shawfest.com for more info. Hi, this is Ashley Scott, and you're listening to AME Radio.
1: Welcome back to the show, everybody. You know, one of the things that we love to talk about here is different types of things that impacted our generations, uh, whether that be a book, whether that be a dance fad or something. Uh, there's always something that influences a generation. And for the 1980s and the baby boomers, one of those fads was a pop culture show called 30-something. And we have on the line with me a very special guest. His name is Scott Ryan. He wrote the book uh, 30-something at 30, an oral history. And believe it or not, it's 30 years uh, since, since the show first started out in 1987. Welcome to the show, Scott. How are you doing today? I'm doing
2: great. Thanks for having me.
1: So, for all, the, for all the kids my, my age, you know, because I'm, I'm in my late 30s, but, you know, some of us didn't always get a chance to watch the show. What was the show about?
2: Well, it was about you. You just didn't know it yet. Um, if you watch this show now, what you basically would see is a mirror reflected of what it's like to live in your 30s. This was a simple show about... People in their 30s raising their kids, dealing with their parents aging, dealing with their horrible boss at work, and just the small things of life slowed down and reflected. And for Baby Boomers at that time, it was the first series that really focused on that generation in a realistic manner, not a sitcom manner or a heightened cop show manner. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. You know one of the shows that came on in the late eighties that kind of defined my generation now would be like um would be like full house because you know i I remember all the kids they were about my age in fact, I think i'm just about a year shy of d j Tanner so I know how important these shows are to that to that generation because it really kind of helps define them. What made it so interesting for you to want to write a book about it?
2: Well, I was just a little bit late I actually am a little under the baby boomer age, but I watched it when it went to syndication on Lifetime television, which was about a year or two later. So I was actually in my early 20s when I watched it. But it was the writing that drew me to the series. The writers are the stars of the show, taking nothing away from the great acting or actors who are on the program, but the scripts are just so human and that doesn't happen a lot on TV you know there's always you always feel the writer's hand in a more cutesy drama this series just slowed life down and really talked you know you you felt like someone put a camera right in someone's house and you were watching them it was actual reality TV before television came along (laughs) and ruined that term
1: (laughs) Right, absolutely I, I kind of looked through the list of characters, and there are some pretty cool characters on here, but they were played by some really important people in our, in our, technolo- in our entertainment field today. Um, who are some of the main people that started out on here? And I think this is pretty much where they got their start because the, their, their career really flourished afterwards. Uh, kind of go over some of, the, some of the people that made these characters come to life and, and maybe ones that we know today.
2: Sure. Well, uh, the star of the show was Ken Olin, and he played Michael Fedman. And how people really would know Ken Olin today is as a director and executive producer. He is on the show This Is Up, which is a huge hit for NBC right now. And I think it's actually the number one show on network television. And he's the director and executive producer of that. And he's bringing a lot of what 30-something did so well, which is dealing with real life. Timothy Busfield was on the show, and people would know him from Field of Dreams or Revenge of the Nerds or West Wing. And then we had Melanie Mayron, who went on to win a couple Emmys, or one Emmy for 30-something, and she's directing Jane the Virgin now. We had Peter Horton, who went on to direct on Grey's Anatomy. So you can see it really became a directing role. Um, And then there was Patricia Weddick, who actually did win three Emmys for 30-something. She played Nancy, and it was her story. She gets cancer in season three that the show is sort of famous for, the arc of dealing with that cancer.
1: Mm -hmm. um, But then
2: the writers really are super famous, too, because um, Winnie Holtzman was one of the writers on the show, and she went on to write Wicked, which, you know, it's a huge Broadway show, and My So-Called Life. And I bet you, if you're in your 30s now, you probably watched My So-Called Life, at least on MTV.
1: Oh, yeah. Do do you remember that show? Oh, yeah, I do remember that show. It was a great show.
2: So My So-Called Life is basically the 30-something producer. So Winnie Holtzman did it for Marshall Herskovitz and Ed Zwick, and they were the creators of 30 Something. And they used a lot of the same writers and uh, directors on My So-Called Life.
1: Well, I know my, when I watched My So-Called Life, it was really about a teenager who was trying to just make, um, make it in this world and find our identity and everything else. So how close was that particular show to 30-something? I mean, it almost sounds like it mirrors each other.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just focusing in on a different time of life. hmm 30-something, obviously, is more viewed of the parents. But, you know, to continue on the My So-Called Life avenue, if you think about this, you know, when you watched My So-Called Life, you probably were only focusing on Angela. But if you watched it today, you would really look at her parents and say, heck, I wouldn't let my kid go there. And <laughs> so a lot of those, um, you know, if Jordan Catalano came to my front door and, <laughs> and tried to take my daughter out. I said, get out of here. So, you, you know, as you age, you view it differently. And that was the thing for 30-something for me. I watch it about every five years, and I see it in a completely different light. You know, one character, which I wasn't that interested in before, now I realize I am that person, and I see their storyline so much better. And that's the test of a true show. Does it last throughout the years, or does is it just a relic from the '80s? You know, nothing against your full house, but I don't know if it's going to hold up uh, for life. You know, because it's stuck in that era.
1: Right. Well, I'll tell you, the um, it's really interesting when you can watch a show like that and then watch it again later on, and it means a completely different thing. That just tells you that it was done right uh, because I love being able to watch something, and then you look back, and it's like, wow, I, I relate to it differently or I didn't even notice this before. Um, that's what's so interesting about these shows and some of these reruns, and I think that's one of the things that keeps them you know, so amazing to, to be able to keep watching and keep putting on television.
2: Well, and for 30-something, it's so true, and that is actually what started me down this path do a book, because for years I've been wondering, why didn't another show do this? Why why doesn't another show just say what real life is like? Like, why do we have to be trapped on an island, or be surrounded by zombies? Like, that doesn't happen to me on a normal day, but I do have to get up, pick a tie, and go to work, and deal with a boss that you don't want to deal with, or a mother-in-law, not my mother-in-law, then it'll get me in trouble here. Um, but You know, and so I set out in these interviews to really find out how they did it. But what was funny is they were just reflecting their life. I mean, they were just talking about themselves and what was happening, and so much of what ended up on the show was from either the actor's real life. Um, Ken Olin told a really funny story where he was talking to one of the writers about how his parents, told him they were going to get divorced. And a couple weeks later, he's doing the script reading, and it's right there in the script. And they just plucked that from his life and used it. And those moments are all over the series, so it feels like real life because in a lot of ways it is.
1: Wow. The uh, one of the things that I, I noticed you were one of the talking points, and I find this very interesting because I've been seeing it happen a lot today in some of the newer shows. Is that they don't announce that they are going to end the show, and sometimes people are like, "Hey, what ha- what happened to that?" You know, and sometimes they just leave it like mid um, mid climax of, of of a situation, and they never end it. It's just gone. Um, I don't know if that's because it has poor ratings. I don't know if it's because of the fact that you know they lost money, if they lost sponsorships. But for some reason, it happens. Now, it happened to this particular show. What caused it to end without anybody telling anybody it was going to end? Well, I'll tell
2: you, in doing these interviews, because I did get to interview all the writers, most of the producers, and all of the the actors. So every time I would ask them, you know, how did the series end? How did you find out it was going to end? And I was just getting these pieces from each person. No one really had the complete story. And the way that I do the book is that I did all these interviews, but I meshed them all together. So it's like they're all sitting around a big table just telling you the story of 30-something, so you get a little bit from this person. And I'm hoping that somewhere between everyone's memory is the truth. Mm-hmm. And basically what happened is that Ed Zwick and Marshall Herskowitz, they were the creators, they just decided they were done. They said, you know what? I don't really have any more stories. We've done it. We've done it for four years. Let's write a final episode. So they gathered the staff and said, write the final episode. So when they turned it in to Scott Winett, who was the line producer, pretty much you know produced the show and made it happen, and he's gone on to win Emmys for Breaking Bad and directed just about every major TV show you've ever heard about, he said, so did you tell the network? And they were like, no, we're just going to end the show. <laughs> I don't want to tell <laughs> Why do we have to tell them? We're done. And he's like, I think you have to tell them. So when the network finally, you know, the script has to be turned in, and the script they wrote killed the series. There was no way to continue it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And they had all the characters move away, and, you know, it was over. And the network said, if you make this episode, we will sue you personally. And they stopped the whole production and said, you can't do this. And they forced them to write a new ending. And that's why the series just kind of ends. And what's really sad is then, even though ABC did that, by the time they edited it and went to air it, they canceled the show anyway. So it could have had this great ending, and instead it kind of whimpered out but the cool part is is that my book publishes the original ending. Mar- Marshall Herskowitz gave me permission for the first time ever for the script to be read and published so it's in the book.
1: Oh, well, that's cool. I mean, yeah, I, that was like so cool. I mean, I really hate when they do that kind of stuff because it's like I mean, I, I, I get I get where they're coming from with the publishers and stuff like that because I mean, if you run out of a story, you run out of story. It happens. But it's just really nice to be able to, to finish it off right. You know, because I've seen a lot of shows end, and it's like, that's how you're going to end the series? After all these years, that's how you end it? You know? And, right. it's like, and, and you
2: in- and you invest in these characters.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you've sat there and watched it for every single solitary season, and, th- and then it just kind of ends like that, it's, like, it's almost like a dis- disappointment. I'm glad it didn't seriously hurt the uh, reputation of the show.
2: Well, and it's interesting for me because I I love this series. It's one of my favorite all time, even beyond the book and everything. But the ending just never felt right to me, and I couldn't figure out why. And it was so interesting to find that it was the only time in the four years that the network forced them to do something. Beyond that, they got to, I'm sorry, I said the network, and I want me to be very clear. It was actually not the network. It was... Studio. It was MGM Studio that forced them, not ABC.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but they—that was the only time they got involved, and that's the only moment that isn't true. And if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about being a writer and creating art, is you know when money starts talking, that's when your art isn't true anymore.
1: Sure. Now, I also seen on this particular uh, list of stuff that you talk about is that Ken Olin and Patricia Wedig were actually married and they managed to work together, which is kind of hard because sometimes it's like you, you, know, you want to go to work to get away from somebody and give yourself a little bit of space, a little bit of sanity, but now they go to work and they come home together at the same time, which can be very stressful on a marriage. How did they manage to make that work?
2: Well, you can even ratchet that up a little bit because they didn't play the married couple. So they were actually separated, mm-hmm. so Patricia was married to Tennessee Busfield on the show and Ken Olin was married to Mel Harris on the show, so they got to go to work and watch each other make out with their other co-workers, so <laughs> that even uh, ramps it up even more so, but they actually said that it helped it strengthen them, they Ken Olin directed a lot of Patricia Wedig's really dark and deep episodes Mm -hmm. and she said, no one knows me better than my husband, and he knew what to do to get me to that place that she had to go, and Ken Olin said he would rather have directed his wife in a love scene and be there as if he was a part of it instead of watching it later and watching some guy be all over his wife. Right. So, And they're still married, and so it must have worked out. (laughs) <laughs> so oh, I don't think they had any troubles And they were they were both so kind And everyone in this book They just poured their heart out to me Once they realized that I just wanted to get their story And honor this show That kind of has faded away a little bit Because it doesn't stream anywhere So Netflix, get on that And start streaming 30-something for its 30th year
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean and it, 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 what i like about when these when these networks like netflix do this type of stuff is that you know for for my generation who maybe not have been able to seen it you know and they didn't always play reruns of all these shows when they when they ended this gives us and a new generation a chance to see that show and just because it happened in the 80s doesn't mean that it won't apply to people of today you know and this is what's you know that's just what's important about it. And even with like the oldies, oldies music from the fifties and sixties and seventies and stuff like that, they consider it oldies. It's going away, and I think if we go, I think if we lose this type of stuff, it's going to severely impact our views of music, our our ability to see so many different things, and be well rounded in so many ways.
2: Oh, well, uh, I I agree with you on multiple points. Um, and the thing is, you know for. People who are listening to this and are fans of 30-something, they're screaming at the radio at me because I'm not tell- talking about the big moments in 30-something.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: I don't want to spoil it for you because if you don't know it, the ride that you get for 30-something is amazing. And people who've seen it, they know what I'm talking about. And I, this is what I tell people all the time. You know, if you go and get 30-something, it is available on DVD, and you make it from season one to season four, it's going to be the best ride you get from a TV series, especially if you don't know what happens. Because, I mean, it's, it's like the greatest trick ever. So there is that. And going back to what you said about music fading away, I blame the iPhone and the headphones. Because, you know, when I was a little kid, I rode in the back of the Buick And I had to listen to my dad listen to Frankie Valli and Johnny Mathis and Paul Anka Mm -hmm. And and so I listened to his music and now I know it And now kids just put their headphones in And I think that's why that music's falling
1: away That's true So I like your point (laughs) It's true and, and fortunately that like i said i just i was i used to love watching um, I, I, there's a bunch of old these stations around here and they just all they play is 80s music now and uh, you know 80s music isn't necessarily bad but i i like variety i like to be able to go to you know you know heavy metal here and go back to the like the, the 40s and 50s music here and you know 50s 60s and 70s music and then 80s and all kinds of different things and i think that's that's the beauty of it you know have a variety
2: yeah, and, it, and you learn from that, and you learn to respect where today's music came from. So, I mean, my collection is ridiculous, what I listen to. I mean, I, I always think it's hilarious when I'm going to listen to Prince, and then it's going to go to Bob Dylan, and, you know, you don't, you don't know, because I feel like when you grew up in our time, you sort of did listen to a little bit of
1: everything. That's right. I have Mozart and and Glenn, Glenn Miller, and I go all the way up to uh, I go all the way up to to Megadeth and and uh, Nine Inch Nails on my side. <laughs> wide 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 variety, and I love it. And that's I I like I said, I just wish they would do the same thing for television. I mean, we you have all these digital outlets, you have Hulu, you have Netflix, you have all these great places to be able to. to uh effective cost effectively post these types of shows up there for people to see that have you know been gone for years and uh you know keep them alive and I just don't know why they don't do it
2: no it, and it it's very frustrating with thirty something because I really think it's actually important because it is about life and when I was interviewing Marshall, he talked about how he thinks it's actually a political show. Even though there's no politics in it at all because he said, you know, everyone had to work out their issues by talking.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and that is like fading away now because we don't work things out through speaking. We just remove that person and we get in our bubble and and we don't interact. And I never really looked at the show that way until he said that and then I was like, That's true, you know. I don't think anyone in all 85 episodes throws a punch mm-hmm. in the whole thing. I mean, it's, it's just about family and life and work, and those things matter. That's, that's what we live for.
1: And do you know what I really miss about television shows, and, and from reading what, hearing what you've been saying and also reading a little bit about 30-something, is that shows in the 80s and 90s, really came out with a lot of values and morals. They taught you something. They were still funny. They, str- they, they hit different types of emotions, and they didn't you know, completely demeanor your ability to understand comedy and make it so stupid that it's like, why am I watching this? You know, the... I'm I'm smarter than this. I could still ha- I could still hear an educated joke and, and laugh at it. And you know, that's something I think we're missing. Uh, and it's important. You know, I grew up with all those types of shows. They would make you laugh, but you'd still learn something and you know, it wasn't like, you know, as stupid as it is today. It's like I don't understand what would happen to television.
2: Well and one thing that Melanie Mayron talked about, who played Melissa, is that thirty something is hilarious and it really is true. I mean, that show is so funny. In almost every episode, you're going to crack up in some way. And there aren't any jokes in it. It is situational character. And that was one of the things that I really liked about the show is that, yes, there is some heavy drama, but there are some episodes that are just straight out comedy.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: that's, that's what life is. Every day isn't sad every, you know, some days you laugh, some days you cry. I mean, hopefully you laugh more than you cry. That's what you're looking for. Right. So I, I really like that. I'm a big TV buff. Um, I do, I'm really into Twin Peaks. I have a magazine about it, and that's coming back. And I have a podcast about television called The Red Room Podcast, where we cover all kinds of quality shows. So TV is sort of, quality TV is what I'm most interested in and 30-something, to me, is at the top.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I'm kind of glad Twin Peaks is coming back, because that was a cool show. I do remember that one. My mom would watch it every, uh, I believe it was every uh, Sunday or Friday. I can't remember which one.
2: (laughs) It was just about on every night, and there's only 29 episodes, so you throw a day out there. Twin Peaks was probably on there. (laughs)
1: Um,
2: it's, It's going to be on Sundays on Showtime, this summer and i do a magazine called the blue rose magazine and we're covering twin peaks and i'm so excited for it i just feel so lucky that i get to write about shows like twin peaks and 30 something and i don't know how i i lucked into this lot but i'm certainly enjoying it while it's happening
1: Absolutely. Well, we got about another two minutes, so please tell everybody how they can find your books, how, how they can learn more about you, and learn more about the stuff that you love to talk about, which are these particular shows like Twin Peaks and 30-something. Well, yeah,
2: you can go out to my website, which is scottryanproductions.com, and from there you can pick up a hardback or softback version of 30-something at 30. It comes out June 7th. And for the Twin Peaks magazine, it's bluerosemag.com, but you can also get there from Scott Ryan Productions. I have all my podcasts and books and all my gadgets up there, so people can head out and, and find out about it. And if you like quality TV, I bet you I've done an interview about it or, or talked about it at some point.
1: Well, this has been an amazing uh, journey for, for us. Uh, I love learning about this kind of stuff, and I hopefully I'll be able to see the, the t- television somehow, some someway, uh, show 30-something. And I thank you for your time, and I wish you all the best, and hopefully this book will do amazing things for you.
2: Uh, thank you so much, and I really enjoyed talking with you.
1: You're welcome. All right, guys, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. We, when we come back, we got more, so don't go anywhere. This is one of the biggest accomplishments of his career, having his work at Disney. Come see the beautiful first release of the series, which includes Distressed Dancer, Spanish Serenade, The Pied Piper, and Reaching for the Czar's. You can see them in person or online at www.imaginationartstudios.com. For more information, visit the website. Again, it's imaginationartstudios.com. Our Facebook is imaginationartstudios. Twitter is at Dow Studios. And Instagram is at Jason Dow. Come and be mesmerized by the masks and the stories behind them. Andrea Tanteros here from the Fox News Channel. I've got a new book out, Tied Up in Knots How Getting What We Wanted Made Women Miserable. Also known as the modern day men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Go ahead and pick it up at your local bookstore now. It's already a bestseller, or you can get it off Amazon.com or HarperCollins.com.
2: Hey, everybody. This is Jay Underwood from uh, the original Fantastic Four, Roger Corman's uh, early 90s production, and now the uh, documentary Doomed, and you are listening to the AME Radio Show.
1: Welcome back, everybody. I have on the line with me Paul Green. You've seen him in When Calls the Heart on, a, on the Hallmark Channel, and he, now he's starring in a Hallmark movie called My Favorite Wedding, which airs this Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Hallmark Channel. Welcome to the show, Paul. How are you doing today?
3: Uh, I couldn't be better, actually. I'm on top of a jungle in Costa Rica. You're going to hear all kinds of animals behind me here. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that, sounds a,
1: that sounds amazing. What kind, of, what kind of animals have you seen so far?
3: There's a little tiny tree frog that's just hiding out. I just finished a yoga class, like, which is why I pushed our time today, but it is sun setting as we're speaking and I don't know if I've ever seen anything quite so beautiful. Wow. But like every, you hear howler monkeys like from three miles away, but they're like these beautiful little monkeys and they're every creature you can
1: imagine. This place is, is a very lush jungle. Wow. That is amazing. I've always wanted to see that type of an area, but I haven't had the chance to do so yet.
3: Um, What city do you live in?
1: I live in Tampa, Florida.
3: Okay. There's just now some direct flights from L.A. and New York, so it's not too hard to get to.
1: Right. So awesome. I love it here. (laughs) But it sounds amazing. Yeah. So, um, it looks like you're going to be in a in a movie coming out Saturday called uh, My Favorite Wedding. Give us a little bit of a detail about what the movie is all about.
3: Well, it's um it's starring Maggie Lawson, who's incredible. She has a pretty big career. She just finished Psych, uh the T V series Psych, which is like an eight year series and she's been on a ton of amazing projects. She was she plays my love interest and we're we start out to be in the movie Worlds Apart. Um, she is a doctor and I am a divorce lawyer and we'll both end up at a wedding and all kinds of obstacles that tend to try to keep us apart and it seems impossible that we could ever love each other or like each other remotely and it's funny and it's got all kinds of twists and turns and directed by Mel Bamsky who believe it or not directed MASH back in the day. Wow. He's just a genius and he also was uh maggie's executive producer on psych so they had a great rapport right off the bat so the environment was really easy to work with and her and i just had instant chemistry which is not it's sometimes rare and just really exciting when it does happen
1: so was it was it difficult to play a a like a love type of uh, romance type of uh Uh, movie, or is it something that came easy for you? Because sometimes people are a little bit, you know, they're a little bit weird on it. gives them a little bit of a hard time. How was it like for you? Well, yeah, it's
3: a romantic comedy, so there's romance. You know, I'm fortunately... Most of these homework movies I get to play have that story of romance, and um, I'm quite a romantic myself in my real life. So I actually enjoy the the (laughs) the the formula that these uh, romantic comedies tend to follow. Like, and they follow like if there's a there's a there's a tradition. Like you go back to when Harry met Sally, and and there's there's a tradition like a lot of the Matthew McConaughey movies and. Like how to they, how to lose a guy in ten days, they all follow. All romantic comics follow this kind of formula that people get used to, and they actually crave it and they love it. Like act one, act two, act three, certain things tend to happen around about the same time. And I don't want to give away like the movie magic, but it's what people love about them is these these two opposite characters struggle and somehow find possibility a way to have common ground. And um, I love doing them. I don't find them a struggle at all. I enjoy, it. especially when we get to do more comedy, and the writers have been really great, and we get to explore that and and make people laugh. And and the environment on set sometimes is just ridiculous. Like the outtakes and behind the scenes, where we're just laughing the whole time. It's amazing. What is it? I have one of the best jobs. I have one of the best jobs in the world. I'm like I'm <laughs> incredibly happy with my choices as a
1: young person to pursue this. What do you think some of the main things are that make a role believable in a romantic comedy?
3: You know what makes it believable is one of the main things I think is just relatability. Like, how how rooted in grounded in reality is this character, and that's a lot of the work that I have to do before. Like, um, not everyone knows, but it isn't just about memorizing lines. Like, there's 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 work to be done that. To give these characters a whole life that, when I stand there and speak the words, I'm coming from a real place. Like I design relationships that have failed for these, for my characters and parents and and past careers and all kinds of of past like of work that I've done in these, so that when I come into the moment, I have a real life and living the life of this character, not just saying words on a page. And it it takes hours and hours and hours and hours to do and reading the script over and over and over again and digging deep to find the gold and there's so much hidden treasure in these scripts and that i think what makes the difference between an average film and a film that's great is when you're watching that character and they're three dimensional right they have a history they have parents they have issues and they're you're rooting for them to overcome their obstacles and after their goal and when you know, winning their objective or winning the girl or winning the, you know, getting love or healing their heart or these things. So that's kind of, I, for me, I think that's the difference. That's the difference between just like an average character or an average and something that you really get and really relate to and you
1: root for them to win. I like that. So kind of tell me a little bit about your character and, on this aspect because when you play a character, there's always some good things that, that come easy to you, and there's some things that are maybe a little bit more of a challenge. What were the, the challenges, and what were some of the things that came easy to you playing this character?
3: Well, easy for me was just um, connecting with Maggie, because she's such an available uh, actress, and she's, she's a great listener, and super funny, and super fast. So connecting with her and having it believable that the two of us could, our characters could Fall for each other. That part was easy. I think the challenge was like being a divorce lawyer, my character, I had to dig into that and find out what would it, like, this guy was really, um, um pessimistic against love and really against all things. And, and I'm, I'm a bit of a romantic. I mean, I've got my own relationships in the past that didn't work out that I've had to work through to not be cynical on love, but this guy is cynical on love. And he's just like, alright, the only, there's a line that he says where the only good wedding is one well, thing good about a wedding is when it's not your own. Like you can, and I, my character like really um, enjoys the perks, like the golf and the and the food and the dancing. And you hear that—that's some crazy bug I've never seen in the background.
1: <laughs> so you know, I can yeah. I can totally see that from a character like that, especially a divorce lawyer, because that's all he see is the worst case scenario in a marriage, and then on top of it when they look at a marriage, they, they possibly got to think, well, hey, this could be my next client, you know, so, I mean, that's got to be something where you got to try to, (laughs) you know, come around with, you know, and try to make, try to make this, this thing work, because, I mean, yeah, you would be, you would be a a little bit more cynical at anything that you'd see with a relationship.
3: Yeah, well, based on the statistics, right, like, there's a line that I have where I'm like, you know, six out of ten of these things fail, seven out of ten of these, so, like, why am I going to, you know, be optimistic ever when he, when he deals in the world of statistics, but then, and, and he deals with these failed relationships over and over and over again. And he shows up when people are ready to divide up all their actions. And so, yeah, it's tough for him, but it's, um, deep in, deep in my character's heart, he's a romantic and just waiting for the right person to come along and, and,
1: and break that. <laughs> that,
3: thing that yeah. Cause my character was left, Uh, was engaged and left at the altar and some, some some serious, more than just this, and, and you find out throughout the movie that I had, I, my passion was environmental law, not divorce law, and I just
1: fell into it. (laughs) So,
3: um, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's, it was, it's a lot of fun, for sure.
1: So, you say you're, you're a, a, a romantic in, in your real life, or at least a bit of a romantic. Do you believe in love at first sight? Or do you believe that two completely opposite people can make of relationship work?
3: I think it, rec- yes and yes. I think that yes, you sometimes, and I've, you've heard countless stories of you see someone and everything, it's more than just sight. It's love at first talk. You hear them speak and you're like, wow, this is everything. Like this person, this, you You watch them move. You smell them. Like there's, mm-hmm. it's all clicks and i definitely, definitely believe that. And what was your second question of that?
1: Do you believe in love at first sight and do you believe that two people of completely opposite spectrums that normally would just, like yeah. oil and vinegar, uh, oil and water can come together and, be, and and actually have a good marriage and a good love affair.
3: I do. I see do. Yeah, I'm glad. Yes, I, I feel that um, it's important to have opposites, especially in the, the broad stroke of masculine-feminine. Like, if you have two masculine people together, they're going to repulse each other. And if you have two feminine people together, they're going to repulse each other. It's almost... And you see it. It's a bit archetypal and a bit like old-fashioned, but it's why marriages used to work way back in the day because they, people were so established in their roles. And not saying those were great for women's rights or for anything, but the polarity was there between the two um, people. Where now you have men doing women's work and women doing men's work and they're kind of, everyone's kind of vague and in the middle and there's men are much more feminine and more like women and women are much more demanded to become in these heavy masculine roles. So they, um, there's not much polarity and not much attraction left. So I short answer. Yes. I think you need the opposite, you, mm-hmm. but you do need enough in common that you can enjoy conversation at dinner. Right? Absolutely.
1: That's always important.
3: There Whoa, there's a massive frog about three feet from me,
1: like humongous.
3: <laughs>
1: sounds fun. I love frogs. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, they're pretty weird. Like, oh. <laughs> so one of the things that I would think about this type of a movie is that, you know, you want something good to come out of it that people can take away from it, whether it be a good emotion, whether it be some, a lesson learned what lesson did you learn from this particular movie and what do you hope that everybody else takes away from it as well? Wow.
3: Well, you know, one thing I, li- I learned, and this is a part of acting for me, is to listen to discover, not to listen to respond. Now, that's just me and my work and what I, I continue to learn that. This is, that's like listening to the other actor and the other person In our lives is the same thing when they're speaking you're listening for to discover what they're sharing not just loading your gun to respond with something brilliant or something that will wow them or make them like you more or something so that's that's always that's like the part of the craft part that i always keep learning more and more about which can be tricky when you're when you have lines in your head ready to to deliver to trust and trust to just listen and in the right moment, that your lines will be there because you've done all the other work. so that's just that's not something I learned in this film alone, but I keep learning that lesson, and it keeps taking me deeper into my craft. But I do think that what people people are going to um <laughs> just they'll believe hopefully they'll have another shot at there'll be the odd cynic out there that maybe gave up on love a while back and you know hopefully find some hope that if a divorced attorney who really had it out uh, had the odds against them can find love um, that possibly they can too. So that that's my hope that people will get their hopes back and uh, possibly let their heart open a little and love again.
1: Mm. I hope that too. I really hope that for everybody because I know that there's always somebody out there for somebody. You just got to sometimes open up your eyes, and if you happen to just you know y- y- you don't find them right away, that's okay because that just means that you just haven't looked in the right spot yet. And, you know, I just think we're all too distracted
3: with our phones and with our stress and with, like, we're disconnected so much that that person could be right in front of you. So Mm -hmm. no one's asked for my advice, but my advice is is always to put the phone away and be present in the moment. And that true love could be standing right in front of you, but we're off on our phones and in our minds, never really present in the moment. So no wonder love doesn't show up.
1: Man, you're so right on that. (laughs) You know, I was was driving down the street the other day, and I saw a bunch of kids in one car, and not one of them looked up in the entire span of maybe about three miles to talk to each other. They're all glued to the phone. The only one that was actually looking up and, and, and looking at what's going on around them was the driver, thank God. But it's just, we have become a society yeah. where we have completely just engulfed ourselves inside of the phone. And that's where our friends are. That's where everything is. And we've lost a lot. Mm. And you're right. It does take away from, from the ability to find true love in many ways. For sure. For sure. It's like a simulated alternate world that
3: doesn't, it's not really real. What's real is like right in front of you. And just right now as I'm saying that, there's a ton of fireflies that are lighting up these trees. Fireflies just came
1: out right now. And so you'd miss that if you were if you were if you were buried in your phone looking on social media.
3: Yeah, no kidding. Exactly. I mean, I got you on my ear, but my eyes are into right the jungle here, and I'm like being blown away here. <laughs> it's like a nature show in front of me. <laughs> that's so cool. But that's just it. Like I try and get my son out to nature all the time. Mm-hmm. Get his shoes off so he's barefoot, so he can feel the earth and connect and be and 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 not be on his phone and so we go into nature we go
1: camping a lot and it's just medicine for the soul for sure it is okay so we got about two minutes left and I want you to be able to tell everybody what made acting so passionate for you and what do you love about it how did you get into it
3: okay I'm glad you asked I was really young and I watched Bloodsport and Purple Rain, which are like, one's a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie and the other one is the Prince, like, music video movie, and I kept dreaming that I was, like, in the movie with Jean-Claude fighting, so I kept waking up on this little farm in middle of nowhere, Canada, with being in movies over and over again, and instead of, like, waking up thinking you can't fly or something, I was, like, not in these movies, so... I put myself in acting school. The second I could drive, I got my car at 16, I would drive up to the city for an acting school in Edmonton and started martial arts and stopped eating sugar and started doing like a thousand crunches a day to like try and get my body strong. And then I just knew at that age that that's something that I really wanted to do. And I've been pursuing it ever since. There's been other, there's like a 10, 15 year career that it took me to Europe and I and I was always in school and studying, and in New York. But then, when I moved to LA twelve years ago, I dedicated everything I had to acting, and threw all my chips and left another career at the top of top of it, earning more money than I ever imagined I would earn in my life. And I left it all with a six month uh, old son, my son Oliver at the time, and we left New York City and moved to LA, knowing that this was my where I was needed to do to be fully satisfied and fulfilled um and it's just and it's the deeper I go into it it's like any craft any art the more you learn kind of more I'm falling in love with it and I'm so grateful to have this opportunity to be working as much as I am especially on a network in a studio like Hallmark that um, believes in me and they keep you know using me for different films and this series one called The Heart which I love being on so yeah, as long as they'll keep putting me in and other studios and
1: shows that I get to work with, it's the best. I'm super happy with my choices in this, in this field. Well, that's awesome, and I'm glad you're doing everything that you love. And uh, since we're just about out of time, tell everybody how they can, uh, if they can follow you on Twitter, if you're going to be doing any live tweeting during the movie or any way of just following what you got going on in your career.
3: Yeah, on Instagram, I'm Tipper with one P, so PG Tipper. And on uh, Twitter, it's Paul Green Media, and I will be live tweeting. So Paul Green, and Green has an E. So Paul Green Media, that's my uh, Twitter handle, and I'll be tweeting um, on Saturday here from Costa Rica. I'm going to have them send me the film so I can kind of follow along with the act breaks where the commercials will be and tweet um, with it. And yeah, and I'm on Facebook just under my name, Paul Green. There's a fan page on there. But thanks for asking, man. That's great. That's I post a lot as well from behind uh, behind the scenes. And I play my guitar, I sing and record a lot of my music for my YouTube channel, which is Millet, Millet Line, but you can find it through my name, Paul Green. But, um, yeah, it's been great talking to you, Jason. we got a big group on the patio here with the sunset. We're about to have a nice vegetarian dinner, so I'm going to go join them.
1: All right, you go do that and have some fun, and we'll be uh, following you on the, on the, the Twitter. And hopefully, I'll uh, ca- uh, get, in, t- get in, in touch with you with some live tweeting.
3: Yeah, I'll be doing it for sure. I totally enjoy doing that. Great questions, man. I enjoyed our chat. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. All right, guys, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we got more, so don't go anywhere.
0: Do you love horror, the strange and unusual fantasy creatures, or urban legends? Do you want to step inside a dream or nightmare? If you answered yes to any of these questions... Then you should check out internationally exhibiting artist Jason Dowd and his award winning photographic collections by visiting www.imaginationartstudios.com. Get inside his mind and experience his inner weird. <laughs>
1: <laughs> welcome back to the show everybody I hope that you enjoyed our show today with our guests because I know they enjoyed talking to you and don't forget Saturday night Nine o'clock Eastern Standard Time on the Hallmark Channel is my favorite wedding, starring Paul Green, and I think that you guys are going to enjoy that movie. It's a great romantic comedy, and uh, there's nothing like a good romantic comedy on the weekend, is there? You know, you just sit down, relax, kind of curl up with the people that you love the most, get some uh, popcorn and maybe some candy and some soda or some wine, whatever. However, you decide to relax at nighttime and and have fun with this movie. Now, remember, he will be live tweeting, so if you get a, if you get a chance, go check him out on his Twitter, follow him and uh, talk to the actual actors when they're when the movie's going on and like you said he, he posts a lot of cool back, backstage stuff too that you, I think you guys will enjoy seeing and of course we're going to be bringing Scott Ryan back on because I have some more things I want to talk to him about about pop culture and uh, some of the great shows that we saw one of the things he's actually an expert on is Twin Peaks and that was one show that I used to love when I was when I was younger and it didn't last very long but man did it have an impact on our television broad waves and and the way that we and the things that we said and a lot of cool stuff like that so are we going to bring him back on to talk about that and a lot of other things that uh like reality television too um reality television kind of yeah i'm a little skeptical about i don't believe half the stuff that's out there but i remember some of the first ones that ever came on which was on mtv so we're going to be bringing him on to talk about that as well So if you guys get a chance before you go or now that the show is over, you can go to www.theamemagazine.com. Check us out 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. We do not charge any subscription fees, so go check out what we have. You can see all of our archives on our radio show, all the archives on our television show. See who we have coming up and, of course, see some great articles that are out there that maybe inspire you to go out there and be your best. Challenge yourself and create something amazing for the world to see around you. And if you want to check out any of the collections that I've done with my own artwork, all you have to do is go to imaginationartstudios.com and uh, check us out there. And you'll be able to see some of the the beautiful people of the world that I'm coming out with. And uh, as they finish up, we will be posting those as well. Now, again, tomorrow you'll be able to see us on our normal scheduled time on WKLAP, 12 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. That's WKLEP.com, Saturday on AMFM 247 Broadcasting Network at 5 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, amfm247.com. And you can check us out on Radio Love, which is Saturday at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That is RadioLUV.com, so check us out there. Also, we're on iHeart On Demand right now and on iTunes, so if you subscribe to us anywhere through there, you'll be able to get the show in advance, which is kind of like being a VIP in our book. So I guess that's all we have for you guys this week. Well, until tomorrow. And uh, we look forward to seeing you then. But until then, keep those creative juices flowing. And we will, we will have a lot more coming up next week and so much more. Have a great night, everybody. See you tomorrow. That's the end? So we're done. Calm down, people. Calm down. Okay? That's it.